We should pray. I must thank God. We thank you once again for tonight. As we share your word, I pray that you be with us and guide us. Help us to appreciate all that you have for us tonight as well. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Please take your seats. By God's grace, yesterday we looked at several things and we saw that um, the signs of the wounded included things like guilt, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, rejection, grief, despondency, resentment, depression, disappointment, betrayal, and loneliness. And we also said that what causes wounds, the causes of wounds include our personal sins and uh, mistakes. And then number two, other people's personal sins, other people's sins and mistakes. And then demonic influences and the wrong perception of what God is doing in our lives. And then finally, the things that happen to us in the natural cause of our lives because of the fall. <clears throat> we also mentioned that um, wounds have a certain kind of you know, characteristics. And we saw that those who are wounded, it's shown in personal hurts, pride, criticizing others, avoiding people, using insulting or abusive language, being irritable at the least provocation, wallowing in self-pity, having suicidal tendencies, being physically abusive, always seeking to blame others, and facing, failing to forgive yourself or accepting God's forgiveness, jealousy, quarrelsomeness, and hatred. And then we also mentioned that the reason why people get wounded is when we allow open doors in our lives through careless living. And then number two, when we are not mature, immaturity, then when we also accidentally expose ourselves to, to wrong influences. And fourthly, when we yield to controlling spirits. And we mentioned three types of controlling spirits, intimidation, manipulation, and domination. And I also mentioned that we can find wounded people everywhere, in their home, at school, at, work, at the workplace, in the church as well. Then I mentioned the characteristics of people who restore others, who can restore others. And we said that before you can restore others, you must be a broken person and you must also be humble. And then number two, you must be yielded and obedient to God and willing to obey Him in everything. And then we said that you must be someone who is sound in the knowledge of the Word of God. And your life must be one of integrity and above reproach. We also saw that you must have a heart of compassion for others. You must be empathetic towards them. And we saw that you must have a genuine desire to help the wounded. And then lastly, you must be completely repented of every known sin. That's where we ended yesterday. And today, we want to look at how to help heal the wounded. Amen. How to help heal the wounded. The steps we have here are not exhaustive, which means that um, they are not altogether all the things that we need. But these are a few key things we can do to help heal the wounded. Number one, we must be gentle with them. If you want to heal the wounded, be gentle with such a person. I want to read from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Proverbs 15, 1. And they say that a soft answer turns away wrath, 
wrath, wrath or anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh response tears up anger. So the way you talk to people affects the way they receive us. You may be, te- you may be speaking the truth to the person, but if once you are harsh, that person can resist what you are saying. So if it happens that you've discovered someone who is not feeling too good about certain things and want to restore them, we must be very, very gentle with, with them. Number two, be courteous and gracious. We must use courtesy for everybody. Everyone needs some kind of respect. And Colossians chapter 4, <coughs> verses 5 and 6, or shows us how we are to, you know, we are to, we are to talk. Okay. And the, the passage is already there. Okay. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And then the verse 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. You know, how do you season your speech with salt? In the first place, we must know what salt does. We know that salt is, you know, um, some cooking ingredient that is used to preserve things. You can use salt to preserve fish or meat so it doesn't go bad. Okay. And also salt can make um, our food delicious. So, salt is a cleansing agent. And it means then that when we are talking to people, we must use language that doesn't harm them. That, that makes them feel good. That makes what they are hearing from us feel delicious. That makes them feel edified and built up. You know, even with children, you can't tell a child, that's not edifying. And the simple statement, go away with your matter can still harm us. It's not, fresh, it's, it's not a defined language. And it can cause hurt to the child. One day, a certain preacher was preaching. And I don't know whether he was trying to make a joke or not, but he, he was preaching and then he said something about his wife. Apparently, in his house, whenever the wife is cooking, probably she may leave the food and be on the phone for a while and by the time she comes back, the food is burnt. So she was preaching and she said, After my wife, whenever she cooks, it becomes a burnt offering. <laughs> and everybody laughed, except the wife. The wife was very, very hurt. You see, maybe he thought he was joking, but it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> a joke for her. Alright, so it means that when we are talking to people, we must be very careful how we throw people off. I, I'm, I'm an Akan, and also have some fancy and Adam blood. I know that traditionally we, we, we are more prone to use negative language than positive language. You know, that kind of thing. But it doesn't edify people. So from now on, let's learn to be courteous and gracious, even with children. If you apologize to a child, that child respects you more than if you don't. When I was teaching high school, one day I caned some students who didn't go for prep. 
And then I heard that one of the girls was crying and I was told that Cecilia is crying. She says she's not crying because of the, of the pain of the cane, but she's crying because she's 16 years old and you beat her. Do you get it? She's 16 years old and you beat her, which means that she felt she was a big girl. So I wrote her an apology letter. I was a teacher. So I'm sorry you are old and I beat you. You know, and when she received that letter, I realized that she developed some very deep respect for me from that time on. Because she finished school. I could have just thrown out, I mean, just uh, carelessly said, oh, there's a student, how can he say that to me? But from that time on, I didn't cane 16 year old girls again. Because I realized they are big girls. You know, even now, when you are 12, uh, going, I don't touch you. I just, you know, I talk to you and rebuke you and help you to know that you are growing. You must not behave like an adult. Okay, so courtesy and, and graciousness is very important. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. <clears throat> Therefore, be mediators of God as dear children, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, and an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. If we are walking in love, our lives must be a blessing to people. You know, somebody comes to your house or into your office and you don't feel like leaving because your presence is sweet. It can happen that way. They mustn't be in a hurry to leave because when they are with you, they feel very, very okay. They, they feel like human beings. Amen. Number three. Work with people privately <clears throat> or in a team when appropriate. Work with people privately. So when you are dealing with people whom, uh, whom we, want to, we want to restore, we need to do that privately first. Because some people, when you confront them in, in the presence of others, they may rebel. But if you confront them privately, then they can respond appropriately. If the, the, what the issue is something that is common knowledge and a team must deal with the person, that one too can be done. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, the Bible says that if a brother offends you, go to the brother and tell him his fault. If he accepts that he has offended you and he apologizes, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't accept his fault, then go back and then go to him again with one or two uh, people so that he can serve as witnesses. Because the Bible says that um, at the testimony of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. If he doesn't listen to them, then you can now tell the matter to the bigger group, the whole church. And, and in those days, the churches were not, were not as big as we had here. It was home churches in between 20 and 30 people. You know, and then if the person doesn't listen to the church, then Jesus Christ himself was the one who was talking. He says, treat him as an outsider. You know, a tax collector or a publican is someone who was not respected by, by the Jews. So treat him like an unbeliever. And this one suggests that no matter what an issue is, 
you must allow it to be resolved. You mustn't be so hurt that you don't want to resolve the issue. Jesus Christ is saying that if you feel hurt and we are trying to solve the problem and you will not, you will not allow it to be solved, you must be, you must be cast out of the church. This one, <laughs> that didn't say to Yes, no, can I? Asemwesi, yepese ya kansemno, we prima kuma, umpese utie, umpese nyema yekano, ujitum, enso, sebe, wafum, Nasa wu mahu kwani se asemini yen ka yesu se yen pa wufi asorinum. Because if you stay in the church with that kind of spirit, you will poison the church. Unfortunately, the church of today we are very, very afraid to discipline. And that is why we are where we are. There are many people who must be confronted and if they, they will not repent, we must cast them out. If they eventually repent and they come, fine. But sometimes we are afraid that the person will go to hell. Well, the Holy Spirit himself will deal with the person. But the, the principle is that if the person will not accept correction, please cast him out of the congregation. We, we just hope that it doesn't come to that. But that's what Jesus Christ was saying. And Jesus Christ actually made this statement when there was no church. Eh? There was no church at the time. He had just been telling people things. He had not died and had not risen from the dead. And Pentecost had not come. And yet he gave us what must happen in the church, which had not even started. Discipline. Okay. So when it comes to helping people, all of us, no matter what the issue is, you must allow it to be resolved. Okay. And I'll be sharing soon the benefits that comes from being wounded. You know, God allowed you to be hurt so that you can grow. Amen. It doesn't sound nice, but it's true. <laughs> Hallelujah. Alright, so that is what the Bible says <coughs> um, in uh, Matthew 15, 18, sorry, 15 to 18. Now the next step is pray into the ministry of restoration before starting. If you are going to minister to anyone, pray first. Spend some time to pray first and let God himself guide you before you go into such a ministry. And if you look at um, the gifts of the Godhead. Uh, let me just give you a summary of the gifts because not everybody uh, knows that spiritual gifts are divided into categories. Okay. When we talk about the spiritual gifts that we have in the body of Christ, we must understand that the Godhead is the one who gives the gifts. That is God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. But each of them has their own gifts that they give. God the Father gives 12 gifts. God the Son gives 5 gifts. And God the Holy Spirit gives 9 gifts. The gifts of the Father, they are listed in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. There are 7 gifts there. 
You know, so the Bible says that if your gift is to prophesy, then prophesy. If it's to serve, then serve. If you are a teacher, then teach. If you are an encourager, then encourage. If it's showing mercy, do it with all your heart. If it's leading, lead well. If it is to give, then make sure that you give generously. Okay. So, the gifts that are listed there, you realize that showing mercy is one of the gifts you can use for restoring people. Because you have a heart of compassion. And encouragement as well. You see. So, you can use your spiritual gifts to do this work that um, God has given us. Encouragement and showing mercy especially. Alright. Then when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, you have some more gifts there. It says, and God has, first of all, <clears throat> in the church, giving the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then those who work miracles, then those with gifts of healings. The word gifts of healings there in the King James Version is gifts of healings. It's a double plural. Is it there? Gifts of healings. Yes, double plural. The double plural there means that there is not only one gift of healing, but there are different gifts of healings. Alright? That means that some people have got the grace to lay their hands on the sick and they'll get physically healed. Some too, they use their tongue and their mouth to bring the healing in terms of counseling, encouraging the person, praying with the person, even weeping with the person. You see? And then some also have got the grace to do deliverance for the person. There are all types of healings. And we have got the gifts amongst us here right now. And so some may have the grace to do this ministry much more easily than others. And then the, the next gift is the gift of helps. The gift of helps is the gift that allows you to be able to help weak Christians who need to be encouraged. In addition to that, the gift of helps allows you to help strong Christians who also need to be built up. So the helper helps everyone. Those who are weak and those who are strong. And then you have administration those who work in the office and uh, do all kinds of things, write letters, do phone calls, and then variety of tongues. And the variety of tongues here refers to those who, who are using tongues as a ministry of intercession. You know, they, they, they spend a lot of time speaking in tongues. Before we, um, <coughs> uh, Reverend Hansa came, we were asked to speak in tongues for a few minutes. But speaking in tongues is not something that we must do for a few minutes. We must do it a lot, all the time. Because when you speak in tongues, it, that is actually what um, ignites the anointing in our lives. If you're a Christian and you don't speak in tongues, you are very weak. Because the apostles, eh, in Acts chapter 6 verse 4, we learn that uh, Peter was telling the people in Jerusalem, let some seven people be found who will share the food for the widows, uh, of, of the Christian and um, Hebrew origin. But as for us, the apostles, who we'll give our attention to the ministry of the word and to prayer. But when you look at the original text, it is not and to prayer, it, it's and, 
and to the prayer. We shall give attention to the ministry of the word and to the prayer. And some Jewish rabbis have proven that the prayer there refers to speaking in tongues. So the first apostles, they spend a lot of time speaking in tongues before they go and work. That's why as soon as they step out, miracles and wonders follow their work very easily. So we must also learn how to speak in tongues a lot. And that one helps us to do our work much more easily. And so if you have the gift of intercession, which is an intense way of speaking in tongues, you can also be able to help pray for those who are wounded. Amen. So we must pray into this ministry before um, we, we go into it. And so these, uh, the, the, the gifts here are the gifts that the Father gives. Alright? Um, then in Ephesians chapter 5, and I said they were 12, because Ephesians chapter, 5, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, there are more gifts there that belong to the Son, Jesus Christ. And three of those gifts were already listed with the Father's gifts. You know, the apostles, prophets, and teachers, they are also part of the Son's gifts. So if you take the gifts from um, um, healings, miracles, helps, administrations, and speaking in, in different kinds of tongues, you get five. When you add it to the seven in Romans uh, 12, 6 to 8, you get 12. Then Ephesians 5, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 13, we learn about the gifts of the Son. The Bible says that He, Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And their purpose, the purpose for those gifts is listed in verse 12. For the purpose of doing two things, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, so that the body of Christ will be built up. So, <clears throat> what Reverend Answer, Reverend Dennis, and Pastor Pimpon are supposed to do is to equip us. And so, my coming here is part of their work, bringing me here to come and share this so that we can be equipped. So, the pastors and the faithful ministers equip the saints to do the work. So, we must train people to learn how to use their gifts to restore other people, to build them up, to guide them, you know. And so, once the fivefold ministers are able to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, the body of Christ is built up. All of us become built up. And the verse 13 says that, you know, the end result, when we are all built up, three things will happen. Number one, we shall all get, you shall all be united in, in, in our faith and also be united in the knowledge of the Son of God. And then thirdly, we shall all grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which means that we shall all become more Christ-like. The reason why the church in Ghana and many parts of the world has not become mature is because faithful ministers are not doing their work very well. That's why there are so many wounded people in the church. But if we are doing our work well, we can help people to know how to, how to help the wounded to be healed. So we can all grow together and do the work. If you are wounded, you can't work for God because you are nursing your wound. Okay? But there must be people who have been trained to heal wounds. Amen. Okay. Now, of course, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are found in First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 11. And then it says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to all for the common good. So, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to each of us for the common good. <clears throat> and then it says, 
to one, he gives the word of wisdom. And to another, word of knowledge. You know, word of wisdom is the wise words that you are able to use to help solve problems in people's lives. The person is wounded. People have gone to try to encourage him or her, but it's not working. Then you go and you sit down. Within five minutes, the person is getting better because you are using wisdom. So, word of wisdom is being able to use the right words in the right situations and they get the right results. And it's from the Holy Spirit. At the time you were sitting with a wounded person, you may not even know what to say. But by the time they finish, finish, finish sharing their problems, you know what to say. That's wisdom. Word of knowledge is the ability that God gives us to know what others can't know. What nobody can know except the Holy Spirit guides you. And word of knowledge is a redemptive gift. That means that it, is, it helps to bring redemption to people. Okay, how does it happen? Somebody is very, very wounded. is very hurt because of what something that has happened. And then you don't know about it. Nobody knows about it. But God gives you a word of knowledge. And then you get to know that, oh, this person needs help. It can come in the form of a vision. It can come in a dream. It can also come in a certain kind of sensation that you feel in your spirit or in your body. But when it comes, you know that you've heard from God. I remember when I was on campus, there was one lady who was my friend. But I think <clears throat> at a point in time, she was probably interested in me and I wasn't. And I didn't handle the situation well. So she got hurt. I realized that because I go to visit her, she wouldn't talk to me again. One day, I dreamed that she was wearing a nighty. And you know, when a woman is wearing a nighty, everything is revealed, right? But in the dream, even though she was wearing a nighty, I didn't feel lustful towards her. But, but what was rather clear in the nighty was that there was, the, there was the, an opening in the nighty on the side. And then she was standing there. When I got to her place, then she just turned and opened the nighty for me to see the side. And that side had a scar. A chawahonum. Which means we're pra any chan a you know, so I saw that the, the scar meant that she has she had been hurt, she had been wounded, but the wound was healed. So she just showed me that part and she smiled. You know, then I woke up. As soon as I woke up, I said, No, restoration has come. She will become my friend again. Because you know that I think that very morning she came to my room excitedly. Came and shared Second uh, Peter chapter one verses three and four. You know, excitedly came and shared it with me, and that is from that day we became friends again. I never got married to her, but we are still very good friends. He supports our ministry sometimes. I counsel her children who are growing up, and we are good friends. So that was a word of knowledge. And so when you feel, you, you dream about somebody, two things you must ask God. God, what does this dream mean? And what must I do about it? You know? And if you dream, the person is crying, crying, crying. You get up, take your phone, call. Sister, so, so is everything okay? Before you know, it, everything may not be okay. So what of knowledge, the very powerful gift the Holy Spirit gives us to use in our ministry. Amen. 
Then the next, the next um, the gift is the gift of faith, which allows you to do many mighty things for God. In fact, in our ministry, we use that gift a lot. God gives us the gift of faith to be able to raise a lot of money to go to the nations. Okay. And then you have gifts of healings again over here, which means that God the Father gives gifts of healings, and God the Holy Spirit also gives gifts of healings. And I think that means that they are the two, those, that gift is very important to the Godhead. The miracles. Okay, then prophecy, you know, and um, well, the prophetic word normally comes to edify the whole body of Christ. But, but the next word is discernment of spirits, you know, and discernment of spirits allows you to be able to distinguish the kinds of spirits that are working in every situation. We have four kinds of spirits, the Holy Spirit, um, demonic spirits, the human spirit, and angelic spirits. Okay, so sometimes if the wound is caused by a demon, you can sense it. In that case, you just have to cut it out. I remember some time ago, eh, I was, and of course, the two other gifts are tongues and interpretation of tongues. Okay, and um, the, the verse 11 says that, you no, know, the one and the self-same spirit distribute these gifts to each of us according to his own will. So all Christians have got at least one or more of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Actually, at different times of your times in your life and ministry, you can operate all the nine, you know, when it's needed. But those gifts are not resident in us. The Holy Spirit allows us to use them as and when He wants us to use them. Okay. There was this case where this girl was going to get married. She came with a boyfriend for counseling. And as I was counseling with them, <coughs> I said, um, I want to hear about your family, your parents. So the guy told me about the parents, and I asked the lady, what about your parents? And then the guy said, answered for the lady and said, Daddy, as for this, my fiancée, she doesn't want to talk about her family, about her father. And I said, oh, but we must talk about him. And then he said, no, 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 I don't want to talk about him. And I said, ah, so... Who is going to give you away when you get married? Says, well, um, one of my uncles or my grandfather, but if my father hears about my wedding and he wants to come, fine. But me, I'm not inviting him. And I said, then we, then we cannot go on with the counseling. If you are here, your father has hurt you so much that you want to cut him out of your wedding. It won't work. It won't work. No, I don't know whether there are families here where... Um, Maybe some single mothers, I'm not causing you hurt to. Um, I don't want to hurt you, but I want to ask to be very realistic. You raised your daughter alone. She is now about to get married. And you are insisting that your brother must come and give her away. We don't do that. Women's family cannot give daughters away. It's the man who does it. If the father is alive and did not treat you well, Forgive him and bring him to come and give the daughter away. So that he can go and now answer to God why he didn't look after the, 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 the daughter. And that daughter would have gotten blessed by God because she honored the father. So if you are thinking of letting your siblings, your, the, the mother's side, do the next wedding, please. It's not happening. It shouldn't happen that way. Even if the father is not available, 
because he's a very irresponsible man. You must go and look for a, a, a male, the, the father's brother or uncle or some male from the father's family. And by God's grace, God has prepared at least one person from the father's side who can come and stand for the girl. But if you, you think that because you are hurt, you will include them, your marriage may not work. To say the least. You can have the most flamboyant wedding in the world. It may not work. And a lot of marriages that are not working now, one of the reasons is because the parties involved, one or both didn't honor their parents too well, especially the father, who may have been irresponsible. So I told this girl, if we don't, if we don't, if we, if we don't discuss this issue with your father, I'm not going on with the counseling. Do you know what happened? Right there and then, she got up. And this is a full lawyer, a lawyer, a whole lawyer. She got up. Eh, no, I won't forgive him. I won't forgive him. I won't forgive him. And then she started crying like a baby. Then before we were aware, she, had, she was on the ground and she was rolling. The demon started manifesting. So, I know to the amazement of the husband who opened his eyes and was watching what was happening, and this is somebody who was in her full, I mean, black and white as a lawyer. Oh, of Man, I won't forgive him. I won't forgive him. And I said, in the name of Jesus, demon of unforgiveness, I bind you. I cast you out in Jesus' name. And after about 50 minutes, the demon left. You see? That was the span of spirits. And after the demon left, I said, so, will you invite your father? Yes, daddy. Meanwhile, the father was not even living in Ghana. So the lady bought a ticket for the father to come down. I had to call the father and say, sir, your daughter is getting married. You must come and give her away. And then he says, I'll come. So they bought a ticket and she came. After the wedding, I took the man and the daughter inside, the two of them alone. And then I said they should reconcile. So the man apologized to the girl. In fact, what had happened was that the man had left the family for 23 years. Since the, children, the, the, the girl was six. And she was now 29 years old. So how can you come and give away a daughter that you have not seen for 20, 29, 23 years? But after the, um, the woman man apologized, the, woman, the girl also forgave the, 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 the man. And then they embraced. And I said, Daddy, can you prophesy into your daughter's life? So the girl knelt down in her wedding dress, knelt down in front of the father, and the father laid hands on her head. And then he prayed and prophesied on the, the daughter. And I videoed everything. Only a few of us after that, I sent it to them. You know what happened? After one year, the, the lady called me. Daddy Prophet, thank you for being so hard with me. You know, I, I didn't understand why you were being so tough. But now I know that it was, it was for a good reason. Because the family is not reconciled. Even though the man has married somebody else. But at least the bitterness and all that is gone. So the gifts that the, the Godhead gives, you know, each of them has got something that you can use for a particular purpose. You know, and every one of us can use the gifts, some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then some of the gifts of the Father. And then those with, 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 with um, the fivefold callings too, we can also help, the pastoral care especially. But everybody has got some gifts that we are to use. In First um, Peter chapter 4, verse 10, you know, Peter was saying that <clears throat> you know, God, uh, God has got several manifold, manifold gifts. Many, many, many sets of gifts. And God, he says that out of those gifts that God has, he has given each of us at least one. And those gifts are supposed to be used to build one another up. 
And so if your gift is a gift of speech, if you, you have to use your, your mouth to, to use your gift like I'm doing now, then do it as if you are speaking the oracles of God. If it's a gift of service, you save. Okay? You give money, you save, you show mercy. Then do it with the energy that God gives so that in everything, Christ be glorified. So the, the purpose of our gifts is to, is to actually bring glory to God. So if you use your gifts in the church, a combination of them, for example, you may have um, some gifts from, from the Father. You have God, let's, let's say, the gift of encouragement, the gift of showing mercy, the gift of service. You see, the gift of even teaching from the Father. And then you combine it with the gift of wisdom, word of wisdom, and then word of knowledge, and discernment of spirits, and gifts of healings. One person can have all these gifts. You can use them as a minister in restoring people. So once you, 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 they bring a person to you and you minister to the person, the person is healed emotionally. And there are some of us in the church who must develop these gifts into our own ministries. You can have different ministries in the church. Reverend Anselm's ministry is that he's a pastor. Your ministry can be an encourager. You are in the, in the church, you, you may not come here to sing with a choir, but you are encouraging people all the time. How do you know that God has given you the gift of encouragement? People start coming to you for encouragement. How do you know that you are a teacher? People start coming to you to explain things to them. Then they may ask you to come and lead some things. How do you know you are a leader? God will let people start coming to you and you realize that whatever you want to do, they will follow you. How do you know you have the gift of wisdom? People will come to you to seek your advice. And they go round and round and round. They don't have the answers they want. But once they come to you and you talk, they are okay. So God has deposited the gifts in us. And Luke 24 verse 12 says that, you know, because... No, um, <clears throat> Luke chapter 12 verse 34, sorry. It says that, you know, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will also be. So because God's treasure is in us, His heart is after us. God's treasure is the gifts that God has given us, which are inside of us. And because he cherishes those gifts, he will drive people to come to us to receive the benefits of those gifts. That's why when people are coming to you for all kinds of things, you can know that that's your gift. If people are coming to you for money all the time, it can be that you are a giver. But givers have got the grace to either give or to raise. So you can raise the money for them. Everybody here can be operating their gifts fully. And you can bear a lot of fruit and be very content when you are in the church. Hallelujah. Alright. So that is um, <clears throat> the fourth point. The fifth point is use God's word correctly. When you, are using, when you are ministering to people, use God's word correctly. That means that find appropriate scriptures for the appropriate problems. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 2 Verse 15. It says, study to show yourself approved. A workman who does not need some versions to cry with his tools, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you must know the appropriate verses to use for all kinds of things. And right now, we even have a lot of help from the internet. You can go and say, write, Google, verses on restoration. And there will come plenty of them. Verses for inner healing, they will come. Then you, you print them out or you copy them. 
Because it's your ministry, you must have them. And some of these verses, you must memorize them. Because that's your ministry, and they'll come alive. You know, for example, yesterday, Reverend Anastar quoted um, 2, Timothy chapter, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You know, and that is a very key verse that must encourage all of us about being restored and also restoring others. You see, because that, that verse says, Thanks be to God, the Father of all comforts, who comforts us in all our afflictions when we are wounded, so that we can also comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. So the issues may not be, why am I going through this? But when God comforts you, you also comfort others. Amen. So, how to heal the wounded? Be gentle, be courteous, and gracious. Work with people privately or in a team when appropriate. Pray into the ministry of restoration before starting, and then use God's word correctly. Amen. Now let's look at the steps in restoration. This one is not for restorers. This one is for all of us. All of us. If you want to be restored, or you want to restore others, this is for all of us. So steps in restoration. Number one, deep repentance. Every one of us, when we, are coming, when, when we have gone through something and God is restoring us, restoration begins with deep repentance. In fact, any time you are going to organize a revival in this church, if you don't begin with deep repentance, it won't work. It won't work. Any preacher who comes and stands here to, to teach, or to, to come and stand here for three-day revival and does not begin with repentance, it won't work. You don't come and stand here to do revival and you start with um, seven keys to success. No. Revival can occur only when there is deep repentance. There is brokenness. You know, we come before God and let Him know that we have, we have, we have blown it. We have erred before Him. So we must go through deep repentance and then also learn to accept God's forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 the one who conceals his sins will not prosper. But the one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Many of us here, it's possible that we are going through all kinds of problems because there are sins we have not confessed. There are sins we haven't forsaken. You see? And because of that, God cannot bring us the breakthroughs that we need. Some of us, we may have to go and con- I mean, confess or apologize to our parents for being rude to them some time back. The guys, you've gone to break somebody's virginity. You didn't, you didn't marry her. The person left with pain. Now you've moved away from each other. So you've forgotten about her. Go and beg her. If she opens her mouth and says, What you did to me, it will happen. So it's important to look for our old girlfriends and go apologize to them. <coughs> Oh, it's true. There is a need to go and apologize to people like that. One girl, one guy, years ago, came and told me, say, I have had four abortions with my girlfriend, but I don't want to marry her. You had four abortions with a girl, and you marry the girl. Nobody can force you to marry the girl. But if that boy is wise, he must go and kneel down before the girl and beg her to forgive him and release him. 
Because whatever the girl says against you, it will work. One guy impregnated a 16-year-old girl. And then when he was asked to go and bring his parents, he ran away, never came back. Now the girl is old, more than 12 years old. And the father who never who has never seen the girl is now married <clears throat> married for some time now you know he has been moving from place to place going for prayer he's not having a child the wife can't give birth everywhere he goes the prophet say you you have offended a young lady go and beg her so even though he ran away he now had to look for the old young lady the lady told me herself that daddy this boy now calls me and is begging me to release him Look, the sins that we commit, they go after us. So, if you want restoration, the, it must begin with deep repentance. Even you yourself, who you, you think somebody wounded you, but you must also repent for wallowing in self-pity before healing can come. So, deep repentance, and then we must accept God's forgiveness. Number two, forgive others. If it is their fault. And forgive yourself. Because if it is your own fault. Because sometimes people find it difficult to forgive themselves. And forgive God. If he has something against God. Yeah, because people can have things against God. If you are angry with God. It just shows uh, how much you know of him. You don't know him too well. But just forgive him. Okay. (laughs) Amen. One day, can you imagine that a certain group they were they were pursuing this sinless perfection kind of uh, no doctrine that once you become a Christian you can't sin. So one day a girl prophesied, and the prophecy didn't come to pass. Then the following time, when it didn't come to pass, the girl prophesied again and says, "God says He is sorry." So you, if you think God is at fault, forgive God. Amen. And with forgiveness, we don't have to allow people to apologize to us before we forgive them. Because forgiveness is not for their benefit, it's for us. Forgiveness brings healing to us. Okay? And if we don't forgive people, it can cause all kinds of physical uh, problems in our lives. It can cause headache or migraine. It can cause arthritis. Unforgiveness can cause you ulcer. It can cause you pancreatic problems. It can cause you high blood pressure. It can cause you undue stress. And that can affect you physically. So, just say, I forgive the person. And forgiveness is not, is not easy. You know, they say forgive and forget. But we know that when you forgive, you don't forget. Now, when we say forgive and forget, it simply means that when, you, when they say forget, it simply means that you don't give a mental assent to the pain that the thing the person has done causes you again. Okay. But forgiveness is like having a bowl of sand on the table, a bowl of sand with a teaspoon in it. So you use the teaspoon to fetch the sand, put down, fetch, put down. It will take maybe 100 or 200 or 300 scoops before the sand can get finished. In the same way, when you are forgiven, you do it like, like that. Today, I forgive you. Tomorrow, I forgive you. I forgive this person. 
continue saying it until the day that you see the person, there's no more any pain. Then you know that it's complete. You are healed. So, let's forgive people whether they apologize or not. For our own benefit. And when people forgive us, when people come to us to apologize that we should forgive them, let's forgive them. Don't, don't hold on to any grudge. And some of us too, we feel too big to apologize. I don't think that it is you know, it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it shows the Spirit of God. If you offend people, we must apologize. Even if those people are subordinates. Apologize to your wife or to your, to your husband or to your children if you offend them. To church members, to pastor. Pastor can apologize to church members if we have offended them. Because in God's sight, we have to do the right thing. And so if people, uh, we offend people, we must apologize to them. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, says, If you are going to offer your sacrifice, and you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice in front of the altar, and go and reconcile with your friend, and then come and give a sacrifice. So this one is saying that, if somebody has something against you, you are the one to go. And then also, if you have something against that person, Matthew 18:15. You must also go. So in both cases, you are the one to go, which implies that God expects the more mature Christian to always take the initiative, whether it is your fault or somebody's fault. And if all Christians were to behave like that, there'll be a lot of peace. So if your wife is not happy because you think you've done something to, to her, you must go and find out and apologize. And the men, let me tell you something very, very hard. When we we treat our wives, God is very hard with us. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, You have covered my altar with tears. And the Amplified Version says, And also with the tears of your wives to whom you have been faithful. You know? So because of the... uh, You are covering... You've covered God's altar with tears because He doesn't listen to your prayers any longer. But God is saying that your wife too that you have offended, she has also covered the same water with her tears. And because of that, God doesn't hear you again. So when we come before God and we haven't treated our wives well, our prayers are not answered. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7 also says it. That we must be gentle with our wives and show them respect. Otherwise, our prayers will not be answered. That's with the men. So if we become so hard-hearted that... <laughs> We want to think we can bully our wives. God is the one who is their defender. Amen. Okay. So forgive others. Forgive yourself. Forgive God. Number three. Give thanks to God in the situation. And this is the interesting part. Give thanks to God in the situation. <clears throat> so, why must we give thanks to God in the situation? Because the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. In all circumstances, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The command. In all circumstances, not the good ones who. In all circumstances, whether good or bad, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So if things are not the way we expect, we must give thanks. If it's the way we expect, we must give thanks. If your husband is not treating you well, give thanks. If your wife is not respecting you, give thanks. The giving thanks is God's will for us. 
And after we have given thanks, we can now trust God to give us our breakthrough. Psalm 50 verses 14 and 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Then call on me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you and you shall glorify me. So when you are in trouble or going through all kinds of hurts and challenges, give thanks to God. The breakthroughs come after we give thanks. The verse 23, one of the NIV versions of the, um, Psalm 50 verse 23, it says, The one who brings thanksgiving as an offering honors me, and the person prepares the way that I may show him the salvation of God. Other versions say, To the one who orders his way, way aright, I will show the salvation of God. Ordering your way aright means having the right attitude before God. And the right attitude before God is giving him thanks in all circumstances. So thanksgiving must be something that we live with. So instead of asking yourself, the question, God, why me? I think it's better to ask God, why this? Why me? Why me means, you're self-pitying yourself. <laughs> There's a word like that. You know, why me? I don't deserve this. But why this means God? What are you teaching me in this? One of my friends, oh, I played the wedding, I played the organ at his wedding. After seven years, I played the organ again at the funeral of his wife. After just seven years of getting married. Young Manu, he was not even 40 years old when his wife died. And he was a prayer intercessor. I mean, he has formed a prayer fellowship. He has prayed for the nation. Everyone are asking, Johnny, why are you? You are such a wonderful man of God. You pray always. Why must your wife die of breast cancer after just seven years of marriage, marriage with two children? And Johnny says, why not me? By saying that he silences everybody. Because, you see, if they, if they say why you, it can make you start questioning God. But you see, when you are asking God those difficult questions, the, the answers are not difficult to. The answer is what I told you yesterday. Just because of the fall, anything can happen. Because of the fall, you can lose your wife after two years of marriage. Any of fault, you see, because of the fall, because we have fallen as a human race, anything can go wrong. So, in, in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, instead of asking God, why, 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 why? Don't add me to the why. Add this. What do you want to teach me from this? And I know that God has only one answer for you. To make you more Christ-like. Does this sound good? No, that is God's will for us. Everything we go through is intended to make us more Christ-like. To become like His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's why you have to give thanks. In Psalm 22, verse 3, the Bible says that you know, um, God inhabits the praise of Israel. So when you give thanks to God, you allow Him to come into your house and then put His throne there in your praises. Then you sit on it. If you are broke, go into your room and close the door and start dancing and praising God. A breakthrough will come. If you are in debt, just praise God and thank Him. If you are going through sickness, thank God. Whatever is going, thank God. You see, when you thank God, it does not necessarily solve the problem immediately. 
But what it does immediately is that it changes your attitude. <clears throat> the thanksgiving gives you a positive attitude. Even when the, neg- the situation is negative. And you know, because EYU, we are raising leaders for the nations, a certain, something happened someday, which all of us know about, and I used that one to teach them the truth of God's word about thanksgiving. It was the day Ghana was hoping to go for the semi-final with Uruguay. And Suarez punched the goal out of the goal post and Asmajan also missed the goal, the penalty. Do you know that some of the were having AGMO, some of them started crying. In fact, that day we knew Ghana was going to win, so we had bought popcorn for everybody, NEFU TV, the whole group. And they will be popcorn. As the Mojan and Messi go, penalty, no. People were crying tears. And I said, Yeah, God, this is a good opportunity to teach these children what it means to praise God. I said, Hallelujah. I said, Oh, please. Hallelujah. And I said, Look, okay, I want us to have some time of praise. And I knew that none of them would come and lead the praise. So I myself started the praises. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ, the first and last. No one else like him. Yet Oh, after twenty minutes, Hello, hi. Has Ghana won the match? No. Are you sad still? No. Uh huh. So that's the essence of praising God. So once you praise God, it changes your attitude. It brings, it, it makes you more joyful. You see, joy is not something that comes naturally. But when you praise God, it comes. Happiness is an emotion, but joy is, a, is an attitude. So once you, you praise God, it brings the joy. So the joy can be there whether things are good or bad. You don't have to be stressed. You can look young even when you're old. You know, you don't have to go through a lot of emotional turmoil because of problems if you give thanks. But you see, even though the thanksgiving may not necessarily change the, issue, the, 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 the circumstance, but what it does is to give you a good attitude. Eventually, because of the thanksgiving, the circumstances change. Look at Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. You know, these people had been caned, they had been lashed, and they were in prison. But they were singing hymns to, <clears throat> um, to God, and the prisoners were listening. Then suddenly, there was a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison shook. Every door flew open and all their chains fell off because of praise. And that led to the establishment of the Philippian church when the jailer got saved. Alright. So that's the third one. Number four. Remember God's goodness in the past. Remember God's goodness in the past. If God has been good to us in the past, we can trust that in our circumstances right now, He'll be good to us. So, if you are here and in the past you enjoyed serious fellowship with God through Scripture union in the university or your workplace, things were fine. Then, if, then suddenly things started going bad, 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 and now things are bad. Remember God's goodness in the past, and that one helps us. To continue serving the Lord. And I want us to look at Psalm 77. This psalm is 
a very good example of how God wants us to treat our problems. And I will let us read the whole psalm. But if you look at verses 1 to 4, the psalmist was sharing his problems. Then from verses 5 to 12, he remembered God's goodness in the past. And from verses 13 to 20, he now burst into praise. Whenever you remember God's goodness in the past, it's possible to then usher you into praise. And I'd like us to read the psalm ourselves. Okay, so look at verses 1 to 4 first. Shall we begin? All of us, let's read. Go. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without season. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah means reflect on what you have just read. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Verse 5. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. So from this verse, he begins to now reflect on what God has done for him in the past. Verse 6. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Also reflect on this. Verse 10. And I said, this is my anguish, but I remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. So after he remembered God's deeds for the past, from verse 13, the praise came. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? <clears throat> you are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The earth also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Amen. So this is the psalmist who now bursts into praise after reflecting God's goodness in the past. That is how we are to live. Amen. Some years ago, I was in my house. We were having uh, some ministry um, every Sunday. Every other Sunday, we met to pray for people who had all kinds of challenges. Then some, a couple came. They have been recommended by somebody to come. And they came, and the challenge was that they'd been married for five years, and they didn't have a child. So the man was drinking, and a whole marriage was bizarre. So they came and sat down, and I just smiled at them. And I said, I have been married for 18 years, and I also don't have a child. And I'm not drinking. I'm praying for people. Whether God gives you children or not, 
I mean, you still have your life. You have each other. You have him. Now, am I for 26 years? I still don't have a child. When you hear me talking about our sons and daughters, they are not my blood sons and daughters. But they are people that God has brought us that you are looking after. You know, I'm 53 years old. My wife is going to 58. If we don't have children, that is, that is it. But does that mean I must divorce her or go behind her and go and get some baby? No. No. Everybody has a challenge. Amen? But God remains God. You can ask God, God, why, why, why? You may not get the answer. You see? But when you say, God, why this? God can say, I want you to use the situation to teach others. There are some ladies who are very beautiful, very fine Christians, maybe in this church. You've passed the prime of life. You are in your 40s, maybe 50s. You have never gotten married. You are hoping to get married. Well, you may get married, but you may also not get married. If you don't get married, will you go and give birth to a baby because you want a child by all means? Or you decide to, to stop serving God? If God doesn't heal a certain disease that you are going through, will you leave the house of God because of that? Yes, did I mention this? That God is not necessarily... He is not necessarily <clears throat> out of the way to make us happy or healthy or wealthy, but to make us holy. Our holiness is what is God's prime in our lives. Because we don't have our own physical children, we have looked after a lot of children. And by God's grace, I have given my name to several young people. You know, I have at least six or seven children who bear my name and they have never seen their fathers. Is, it, is that not better than going to hide somewhere and doing self-pity? Mango, mango. Anna. Yeah. Okay. So, going through wounds must not make us turn our backs on God. We must still be able to thank Him and know that He's good to us. Amen. Now, number five, the last point. Appreciate the benefits from your wounds. Appreciate the benefits <clears throat> from your wounds. Okay, and so now I want to list a few benefits that we can derive from our wounds. Which means that whatever you are going through, it can turn out positive for us if you have the right attitude. Number one, benefits of being wounded. Number one, we experience God's love and forgiveness. You see, when you are wounded, and maybe it's because of some mistake that you committed. You know, you experience God's love and forgiveness. And because of that, you are able to also love and forgive others much more easily. So that's number one. So number one, we experience God's love and forgiveness. Number two, we learn to forgive others. We learn to forgive others. Number three, wounds are an opportunity for growth. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and corporately. Wounds are an opportunity for growth. 
it gives us the opportunity to grow spiritually, emotionally, relationally in the relationships and corporately as a church. All this if we accept the whole thing in good faith. Number three, wounds, that is if we embrace um, the wounds. Wounds can make us grow into Christ-likeness, the ultimate purpose of your problems in life. So the ultimate purpose of our problems in life is to make us Christ-like. If you are struggling financially, it can lead you to become Christ-like. If you are struggling in your marriage, it, it should lead you to become Christ-like. If you are struggling with sickness, it should lead you to become Christ-like. You know, everything must point us to Christ. Joseph suffered in Egypt. But it made him draw closer to God. And at the end of the day, when he was serving the Egyptians, he, he did it with, with, with a good spirit. Daniel was a slave in Babylon. He served God with a good spirit. He was a slave. But he didn't, didn't want to himself pity. He said, me, I'm not going to eat the king's rich food. Because he knew that it was idolatry that brought the Israelites into, into Babylon. Why must he now go and eat the king's rich food, which has been also offered to idols again? Even when they put him in the lions, then he was willing to go. David ran away from Saul for several years. But that also drew him closer to God. Okay. So, the ultimate purpose of our problems in life is Christ-likeness. So ask yourself, are my problems making me more Christ-like? If not, you are not learning. Our problems must make us more Christ-like. So if you are not becoming more Christ-like in your problems, you are not learning the lessons you must learn. And if you don't learn the lessons, they may not go away. <laughs> so some of the problems, they can go when we start you know, allowing ourselves to grow in Christ-likeness. <clears throat> Number five. Another benefit from wounds is resilience. R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E. Resilience means we're we becoming strong. Wounds can make us strong if we learn our lessons well. Resilience. Number six. Going through wounds can also build compassion in us because we have been hurt. We know how to also help others. That's where Second, uh, chronic, second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 come in. You know, where... And Paul was saying that, you know, thanks be to God, the Father of all comforts, who comforts us in all our afflictions. So we can also comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. Amen. Then, number seven. It, is, um, it helps us to be able to help those who are also wounded. Because you've been wounded, you can help others who are wounded. There was one lady who told, told me this story. He said, um, Brad Crawford, when I was, on, when I was in, the, in, in the secondary school, I was SU president. When I came to the university, I messed up big time with guys. You know, and she became so promiscuous that eventually, when God was setting her free, she, she had a dream. In the dream, she was in a deep pit. 
And then she was trying to climb out. The, the pit was very slimy, but she eventually climbed out. When she climbed out of the pit, then she heard some girls crying out after her. Sister Pat, Sister Pat, please, if you are out now, help us. When she turned around, she saw several girls in the pit. They had all raised their hands and they were asking her to help, her to help them out. Then she woke up. And you know, the husband confesses that sometimes um, they are sleeping. Then the wife will be crying. Then she wake up. Pat, what's the matter? I say, the girls are calling me. The girls in the pit. And that is what ushered her into the ministry of restoration. That lady can come here. She will preach. Finish preaching. And then she will fold her arms like this. And start crying at the altar. And everybody in the auditorium will start crying. And if she asks for restoration, the whole place is full. Because of where she has been before. It's not a pleasant thing to be an SU president and then come and become sexually promiscuous at the university. But God is using that pain in her life to now minister to several girls. Because many, many more girls are going to be broken in that area. And they need to be restored. Okay. So... We are able to help others who are wounded. Number eight, humility. When you go through wounds, it helps you to become humble if you learn your lesson. Humility. Number nine, wounds are a crucible for raising workers and leaders for ministry. It's a crucible or a cauldron that is saying, that is saying, you know that the saying is more solid than ordinary silver chains. Uh huh. So that's what you call a crucible. A crucible is a solid, you know, very thick container that can endure a lot of heat, but you prepare things in it. So they, they use crucibles for melting gold and silver. You see, when you go to the uh, Ashanti gold fields, you don't use a uh, hundred degrees temperature water to, to purify the gold. 1,600 degrees centigrade. Very, very hot. That's what purifies the gold. So God is using our troubles and wounds and afflictions and adversities as a crucible to train us for his work. When soldiers are going through training, it's tough. Never camp is just here. Very tough training. The things they go through, not the normal human beings can't. And the... the the training that God uses us, God's military camp, God's Burma camp, is the wounds that we go through. And the heads. You know? So even instead of thinking that the heads that we are going through are problems that we want to get rid of, let's, let's allow God to use them to train us. Because that's what they are meant for. Amen. Number 10. Wounds are a path toward spiritual maturity. They are a path toward spiritual maturity. As you go through challenges and you learn how to cope with them, you become mature. If you ask God to forgive you, you forgive others, and you start praising, you start growing towards maturity. You know? So, when you say, why, 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 why me? The answer is that because you are in a falling world, anything can happen. Full stop. Now ask why this? God, what are you teaching me from this? And let God rather teach you. 
You know, God wants to give many of us great ministries to many people. You know, um, Reverend, you know, uh, there's CSC's CSC branch, there's one in Agubuloshi. Yeah. EYO, we worked with them some years ago. Do you know that a lot of prostitutes have become saved and they are there? You know? And because some of them have been broken so badly, when they are, they are groomed and they become a bit more mature, they can reach out to their other friends there. And that church has a testimony. You know, the other time, uh, one guy we witnessed to, after he gave his life to Christ, there's an elderly man. He said, Pastor, Demetra, please. If I take this church to my hometown, all the church, all the churches that will collapse. Why, why, why so? Also, the way, and this is what he said in Fancy. That's what he means by Ebegu. Because I'm saying that CSC, there's so much love there, there's so much Christian grace there that if he takes the church to his hometown, everybody will leave their church and come to CSC. And that's why those churches will collapse. So I told Pastor Kofi, I told him about it, that this is what they are saying. It was a great testimony. You know, and you must go and hear these prostitutes and you know, guys, some of them are into addiction and all things, all that. Testify in the church of what God is doing in their lives. It's amazing. It's amazing. So we must know that when we go through challenges like that, it's supposed to help us to grow into maturity. Amen. Number eleven. It helps us to have the mind of Christ. <clears throat> it helps us to have the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Please, I've taken a couple of minutes more, but I'm finishing. Okay. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Shall we read this passage? It talks about, uh, Paul was saying that, let this mind also be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, which means that Christ Jesus had a certain kind of thinking, you know, and then from verse 6 to 11, Paul is actually quoting an ancient hymn, which the, 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 um, the disciples used to sing. You know? And he says, Jesus Christ, eh, he was God. He was in very nature God. He did not come equality with God, something to be grasped, which means he didn't say, me and God, we are the same, even though they are the same. But he stepped down and he decided to put his glory aside and come down onto this earth as a man. He didn't also come as an ordinary man. No. He decided to come down and even become a slave. Not just an ordinary slave, a born slave. A born slave is a slave who has got a, a very different mindset than an ordinary slave. Ordinary slave, you are serving because you have been uh, bought or you have been captured in war. So you serve out of a sense of duty. But after seven years or six years, when you have finished serving, and the year of uh, Sabbath has come, or year of Jubilee has come, and you've been set free. Then when the slave is set free, the slave goes back to the master and says, Master, I love you, I love your wife, I love your children, so I want to be your slave forever. So, 
they take the slave, pierce his ear, and then you can now put an earring in the, in the ear. So the bond slave and the ordinary slave, they don't have the same mentality. The bond slave is serving out of willingness and love, voluntarily for the master. But the ordinary slave does not serve like that. So Jesus Christ made himself a bond slave, and that's what we are all supposed to be. We are all supposed to be bond slaves. You see? And then he humbled himself to be killed. But not to, uh, to just ordinary death, though. The worst kind of death, even death on the cross. So he stepped down and down and down and down until he could go down no further. Uh, uh, death on the cross was the worst death possible. And because of this, God has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. The glory of God the Father. So, when we go through adversity, it must make us have the mind of Christ. We must become sober and humble. And be willing to go through all kinds of challenges and sufferings for the sake of Christ. If everything is going well, 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 well for you, it doesn't mean that it's good for you. If any prophet says, in Jesus' name, this year you will not suffer, you mustn't jump and receive it. In ruin, so. Because suffering is part of God's will for us. It's his will that we suffer with Christ. Because when we, are suffer, we suffer with him, then we can become like him. Amen. Number 12. Going through wounds or having wounds help us to appreciate and validate one another. It helps us to appreciate and validate one another. To, to validate means to speak well of others. Amen. When you are humble, you respect other people. You can treat them well. When you've gone through suffering and you see others who are going through suffering, you can, you can, you can be sympathetic towards them, you know, and appreciate them. So when you go through suffering, it doesn't make you treat people badly. And then lastly, suffering and wounds help us to see things from God's perspective. And that's, I think, the most important thing we must know tonight. You know, God wants us to see things the way He sees things. Okay. Um, Psalm 103, <clears throat> verse 6. Please, can we have Psalm 103, verse 6? The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Amen? So if you are going through difficult times, God helps you. And then verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his act of the children of Israel. Yes. Now, God wants us to get to know his ways and not just his acts. The acts of God and the deeds of God are the things that God does. That the whole world sees it. The whole world, what's, the whole world sees what God has done. Oh, there is an earthquake in uh, Turkey. You know, we see it. There is a hurricane here. We see it. You know, there is an accident here. We see it. The acts of God. The Israelites saw what God was doing. But Moses knew God's ways. 
the ways of God show why he does those things. The acts of God are the things he does. The ways of God are, are why he does those things. And the ways of God reveal God's character. So sometimes, God's ways, his character, will let him bring a hurricane to America or some fire or earthquake to Turkey because of judgment. Years ago, some Nepal, Nepalese, Nepal, the country of Nepal, they took a pastor, tied him to piles of firewood and set him on fire alive. This was around 2015 or 14, thereabouts. A few weeks later, the earthquake that hit Nepal, it was almost 7.8 or 8 on the, on the Richter scale. And so many people died. So many buildings collapsed. If you burn a pastor, that's what's going to happen. But the world saw God's acts. But his ways, why did he do that? Because the touch, the touch is anointed. You see, it's important that we get to know God's ways. We can know God's ways when we spend time in his presence. When you know God's ways, you don't, you don't, you don't ask too many questions and you don't grumble and you don't start crying. No, well, don't, <laughs> save your tears, oh. Praise rather. Praise rather. You see, look at Jacob. I'm ending. Jacob is grieving for 22 years. God didn't comfort him because he wasn't seeing Joseph. But why did God send Joseph to Egypt? For two reasons. The first is that God sent Joseph to Egypt so that he could preserve his family. And the second reason is that God took Israel to Egypt so that they could have enough time to grow as a nation. 600,000 men and so eventually about 2 million people. So that when they, they left Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan, they were already a nation. You know, if God had left Jacob and his sons to develop to just grow in the land of Canaan, they would have dispersed. But because they went into Egypt, they were able to form into a nation. And then through them, the Messiah came. So if God is going to let Jacob grieve for only 22 years, only 22 years, for Israel to become a nation in 400 years, and for the Messiah to come through him, so that the whole world will be saved, and then we can all have eternity in heaven, what is 22 years? Compared to, eternity, compared to the purpose of God. Now Jacob is in heaven. Now he understands God's ways. That, oh, he only went through 22 years of grieving, but God was using that one for his higher purposes, his grand design. You know? So, it is not a small, small problems that is worrying God. We must find out where we fit in God's bigger design. And what the problems are supposed to do to help us to become what God wants us to be. So now, we are, we are far behind time, but we'll pray briefly. If you are here, and you already feel wounded, and you are hoping that somebody will come and pamper you and help you, you can talk to God right now and tell God, God, please, whatever I'm going through, um, please heal me. If there is some forgiveness, you must ask from God, ask it. And ask God to let you know why you are going through why you are going through.
you are 40 something years, you are not married, you are a guy, you are a woman, you haven't gotten married, and you are, you are, you are, you are, you are grieving within your, your spirit that you are not married, talk to God about it. You see, a husband may come or may not come. Whether a husband comes or not, God also has a purpose for your life. With or without a husband. With or without children. With or without you having your own house. But God's bigger, bigger purposes are what we must be willing to pursue. But His major goal for us is that we become like Christ. I want us to bow down our heads and pray. If you have ever complained to God or ever fought with God, you can also do your repentance now. If we have spoken harshly to God at any time in our lives, let's ask God to forgive us for speaking harshly to Him, for complaining about many things, for saying things that have grieved Him, for complaining about many people and many things, even those we think have hurt us. Maybe they've hurt us, but God wanted us to learn something from what they did. Let's repent. Let's ask God to forgive us. If there are people here you can forgive, forgive them. Whether they are here or not. Maybe after here you can call somebody and say, what have God ever happened and forgiving you? If you also have to go to people and ask them, uh, ask, uh, uh, go and apologize to them, let's do that. <clears throat> Reflect on God's goodness in the past. If He has been good to you in the past, in your current circumstances, He is also with you. Praise Him. Yes, praise Him. Tonight, when you go home, spend much time, maybe an hour or 30 minutes, just worshipping God and blessing Him. And then, Turn every problem you have into praise. If people have hurt you, turn to praise. If you're having challenges, adversity, whatever you're going through, Lord, I thank you that I don't have this. I thank you that I'm going through this. I thank you that I'm sick. I thank you that this is happening. I thank you for every problem. Yes, thank God. And see what's going to happen. And pray that God will help you to grow into maturity, to become like Christ. That is his ultimate purpose for all of us. Whether anybody comes to help you to grow, to help you to, to, uh, to become restored or not, do your own restoration. One thing I didn't talk about, but which I want to mention now, is that in getting restored, you can go on a personal retreat. Two days, three days, one full day, go and hide somewhere. You can fast and pray and ask God to deal with you. As you fast, you make confessions, you worship, you read God's word, you pray and, and, and in tongues a lot, you do warfare, God will speak to you through dreams and visions. And some of the challenges that you are going through, God will show you where the source of the challenges are and you can pray about them. I want us to pray. You can now pray after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me and you come to die, came to die for me to free me from my sins. I acknowledge 
that I have not always been gracious with my words to you. I acknowledge that I have sometimes complained against you. Forgive me where I have erred in not treating you well. Forgive me for my own personal sins and the mistakes I have made in the past which have created all kinds of problems in my own life. I forgive others who have also offended me. I release them from my heart and I bless them. I pray, Lord, help me to appreciate the reasons why I've gone through challenges in my life. Help me to learn the lessons you want me to learn from them. Help me to become more Christ-like than I've ever been. Help me to grow into maturity so I can be able to do the work of ministry. Whatever work you've ordained for me and help me to become fruitful so that one day I will receive the good commendation from you that I'm a good and faithful servant. I bless you and I appreciate you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Even as we reflect on what you have received tonight, I pray that you minister to our hearts and help all of us here to receive the healings from the wounds that we have already obtained. Those who are going to help others to nurture their wounds, I pray for grace and wisdom to help them to know how to do their things the right way. I pray that even after this um, teachings, there will be perfect healing in this church that we shall all grow in maturity to become like you and all of us will be equipped to do the work you've called us to do. We bless and appreciate you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.